Savvy Business Radio, home to over 500,000 listeners per month and runs in syndication on eight AM-FM stations nationwide, including iHeartRadio and six podcasting platforms. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or to become a guest and find out how we can help you get your message out in a bigger way, call 732-474-7375 or email Christina at SavvyBusinessRadio.com. Our first guest today is Erica Peetler author, speaker, and accomplished leadership performance coach and high-impact facilitator. Today, she shares the key to great leadership. Find out more about Erica and leadership at ericapetler.com. Our second guest is Kevin W. Reese. Kevin has guided and inspired thousands of people to take control of their lives and their health. Before becoming a health professional, Kevin was an unhealthy on-air host at CBS Radio. Find out more at eatthesunlight.com. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Savvy Business Radio. How are you today? I'm great, Christina. Great to be with you and your audience today. Oh, I'm so happy to have you in this wonderful start of 2017. Uh, we're getting into the spring here, and uh, you're going to help business owners and uh, people alike learn leadership in, in a way in which they can enhance their lives, their organizations, their businesses, and really be the best leader they can possibly be. You've created a wonderful book called Leadership Rigor, Breaking Through Performance and Productivity, Leading Yourself, Teams, and Organizations. And this is a great topic because I think sometimes myself included, I worked in management for many years and thought I was a good leader. And I learned throughout as I grew that there were things I wasn't so great at and I need to get better at. So we're going to get into all that. But before we go there, share with our audience a little bit about how you became leadership coach and working in that realm. Sure. So my career, I'm a pharmacist by background Mm -hmm. and I had started in the pharmaceutical industry, healthcare industry, spent about 20 years working in a variety of roles, including marketing, sales, um, R&D, ran a uh, global uh, company division for uh, Bayer Healthcare. And all through the process, I was fascinated by two things. One is I loved how drugs worked and communicating it to people. And I loved figuring out how people worked and trying to help them become the best leaders. So about into my career, maybe 20, 21 years I decided I wanted to take a break and pursue another avenue. And for me, that passion that I had was leadership. And I decided to open up my own boutique coaching and consulting firm. And I've been for the past almost 10 years now working with about 18 CEOs, um, probably 20 plus teams and hundreds of executives. And I just love it. Leadership is just a fantastic area to be in. Wow. You know, what's interesting, Erica, is um, I think it was five years ago when I first started my business, I had um, hired a business coach and she was phenomenal in growing her business over 12 years, had grown into a steady six uh, figure income and was now reaching into the millions. But at the time I thought, uh, what could I possibly do to grow my business to make me set apart from other people? And she said to me, so what is it you did in corporate that was making you unique as your best gifts and talents? And I, at first I had to really delve and journal and you know, go deeper into it. And for me, it was customer service. That was like what jazzed me up. And what I really loved is figuring out a way to serve the customer in the best possible way for whatever company I worked in. So it's awesome that you taking your 21 years or plus in, in uh, working in the company you worked at is taking your gifts as leadership. Uh, was that an overnight process for you that you just bam had an overnight aha that this is what I'm good at? How did that come about for you? 
No, it certainly was not overnight. And while I loved, while I loved leadership, I love what you say, which is, you know, you, you went back into the, you know, reflection process and you said, you know, what really was my corporate gift? And for you, it was customer service. For me, what came out um, very early on in my career was my gift was communication. For me, communicating, being brave in front of a, an audience or being able to synthesize, connect dots, put things together um, mm-hmm. was a very easy thing. So what I learned about leadership is there's two currencies of leadership. There's communication and relationships. And those are two sets of skills that we have to master over time. For me, communication was that talent and that natural gift. And where I really needed to do work was on the relationship building. So, you know, in my own career, I was, you know, probably a little bit higher in IQ initially than EQ. So, you know, pretty smart, pretty driven, able to get things done. So that communication really benefited me. But the work that I needed to do on the relationship side really started to interest me in how can I take this learning that I've done about relationships, how difficult it is to really come up with and develop and nurture healthy relationships and bring that into the world in a way that can help other people. And that was sort of the way I wanted to express my leadership coaching was helping people build those healthy relationships and, uh, and communicate effectively. Wow. And I think some people could use help in in both areas. Now, EQ would be emotional intelligence. And how does that play a part in being a good leader? So it is the essential set of tools, I think, for great leadership because EQ, there are four components of it, and probably your audience is pretty familiar with it. Um, But let me just quickly say what it is. Um, Four four areas, self-awareness, You know, do you know how you're showing up in the world? Do you understand what the impact is that you're having? Self-management, you know, are you able to appropriately be with emotions and triggers and challenges and find a way to appropriately communicate and navigate those situations you find yourself in? Social awareness, you know, are you aware of the room, the people that you're with? Do you meet people where they are? Do you uh, notice some of the changes and what's being said and what's not being said so that you can be flexible in adjusting your communication and uh, the state of the relationships? And the last part is the relationship itself. All of emotional intelligence serves in helping us have these healthy relationships. So today's leaders, what I find fascinating is being the smartest person in the room, no longer, you know, the, uh, the cool thing in terms of leadership. You want to be the person in the room that has the greatest and highest level of emotional intelligence. And as a leadership coach, what's great about that is all of those skills are learnable. Those are all things we can practice, we can invest time in, and we can increase our competency in. Hmm. Now, I'm curious that something came up when you were speaking I, as I've learned and grown as my own leader and such throughout the many years, both in corporate and now in my business, um, there's times where I thought I have presented myself to my either clients or to the world in a certain way. And then I got feedback that showed me that I wasn't really presenting myself or the, the idea I had about myself wasn't really what people saw. How do you get a handle on knowing how people perceive you in the world? That's a fantastic question. So, you know, one of the models in, in leadership rigor, you know, one of the things that, you know, you'll notice um, about the style that I bring to leadership coaching is I really try to help people with language and frameworks. So one of the models that I love to talk about is that our intention and our impact really need to be aligned. So, you know, we prepare for that client meeting. We have that idea in our head. We mentally rehearse that and we want to make sure that, you know, we're able to put that out there. Our intent is always good. 
the impact in real time, how it's landing, um, how we're using our words, how we're using our body language. You know, sometimes if we're not as equally focused on mentally rehearsing the impact that we want to have and really starting with a vision and a clarity for what that is, we can sometimes get so wrapped up in what we think we want to communicate that we're not thinking about how do we really want this person to feel, experience us, and emotionally walk away with the message that we deliver. So one of the things I like to coach people on is, you know, think about the impact you want to have, that experience you want to create, and then build the message and the intention of your idea and the communication effort of it. Mm-hmm. And is the component of that, of that coming from a place of making it about the other person and not so much about you? Because I know for me in the past, when I would ask to do a talk or something, I would get so wrapped up in, oh my gosh, I'm going to do a talk. Are they going to like it? That all it's become, it was more about me. Is that part of it? Completely. You know, one of the things that um, I talk about a lot in leadership is, you know, it is about service to others. And, you know, if that's a talk, that's about our audience. If that's a client, it's about their experience. So when we get out of being about being smart and making sure that, you know, we get our idea across and we shift to how can we best ensure that our, our idea is received, that's when you're really making an influential impact as a leader. So that shift in perspective is really critical. Mm. And I, I've heard it mentioned um, that there's a certain currency of leadership. Um, and what is that and why is it so critically important? Yeah, so the currencies, which, you know, we, we got to sort of mention right at the top of this is um, communication and relationships. And why is it important? You know, as leaders, we only get to really work through our intangible skills of relationship building and communication. I mean, that really is what leadership is about. It's really about influencing. And, you know, in communication, why it's a currency, you know, the biggest skill that I think is associated with um, communication, Christina, is veritas. The ability to speak truth, the ability to often speak truth to power, the Mm. ability to say what needs to be said. And that takes a lot of practice and that takes a lot of confidence and courage. On the relationship side, what we're looking for is gravitas, this, you know, ability to influence, be seen as a wise person in the room where people not only listen, but they lean in and really listen to what we're trying to say. Mm. This is so fascinating you're going here because I I had a talk about two years ago with a wonderful coach who wrote a book called... um, Oh, right. Now I've forgotten it. Bummer. But anyway, what life well lived. Um, and anyway, mm-hmm. what, what I really loved about it is that whole whole premise was really about coming from a space where you live truth, live, breathe, eat it, that you, because often she said in life, we've become so wrapped in presenting to the world a package or picture that we want them to see because we think that's the best picture of ourselves, you know, our version of ourselves in our mind. Um, and then we forget to be real and we forget to be real about ourselves and life and everything around us. And it lives, it leads us all to live a kind of fake life. So when you talk about Veritas, I'm like, that's interesting. But I, and what I find about your other part about being influenced, how do you tie that together with being and speaking truth in a way that people can really take it, lean in and not be offended by it? Because you know, at, at this time, there's a lot of political correctness. How do you put that forth where you're doing it in a way that's sensible and sensitive to your audience, but also living in truth? 
That's a terrific question because it really links together, I think, a couple of powerful thoughts in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and this living your truth and being authentic that we talk about. You know, there's a there's a, a, a model that I love to use. It's called the power model. And just imagine three concentric circles. So we have a small circle, a medium, and a larger circle. And, you know, power is a big thing in life, whether it's in our individual personal relationships or in an office setting, a business setting. The smallest power that we have is position power. It's usually related to, you know, the role that we have right now over someone, maybe we're the boss. The second largest power is expertise power. You know, we may be a lawyer, we may be an accountant, so we have requisite skills and, and, um, and power associated with our knowledge. But that large concentric circle is what I call personal power, and that's our ability to influence. And when we're talking about veritas and gravitas, Mm-hmm. And, and how to use it with power. What we're really talking about is how do you connect with people? So if you challenge a colleague on their idea or asking them to provide you with more information, you're using the truth of your curiosity and you're using the truth of your um, confidence to say, I'm not quite yet understanding this, and you're forcing a dialogue. You might use the truth of calling forth a colleague, right? You know, mm-hmm. you and I, Christina, may have had a conversation earlier in the week. We find ourselves in a meeting, and the issue comes up, and you may be a little quiet, and I may say, hey, Christina, we had this conversation earlier in the week. Why don't you share with the group what we were talking about? And that uses my veritas and my gravitas to not only connect with you and the audience, but to help serve in your behalf to get you to get your voice to be presenced in the room. So Veritas and Gravitas can really be used by leveraging our personal power to connect with other people in service of bringing forth either their truth or what can be really meaningful in the moment as we're having business discussions and dialogues. Mm, and it seems to me you're also bringing forth other people's power to, to the stage as well and allowing other people to share in it. Exactly. Exactly. You're bringing forth their voice, their power in that room. Absolutely right. Well, and this recalls for me, Erica, because I've had some tremendous bosses over the years in corporate and some not so tremendous bosses. And what stands out for me uh, for leaders of great leaders over my corporate time were the ones that really um, allowed each of the co-workers to have a voice and to be heard and to not say you're insignificant no matter what your status was and to hear them out whether we decided to go that route or not the point is everyone knew they had a voice and that allowed other people to come to the table and bring their best have you noticed that I have not only noticed that but I really really love the fact that you know the experience that you had was you know in these bosses that do what I call creating safe space you know, we have incredibly talented people that we work with. And if we are able to, whether it's the boss with position power or the boss that's really trying to leverage their personal power, if we look at our talent and we say, you know what, we really, our job is to really realize the talent here, to really get people to be at their best. And for people to be at their best, we have to create these safe space environments where people are not afraid to take risks and make changes. You know, one of the things that um, I love to talk about in business is growth only happens, personal growth, business growth, profitability, you name it. It only happens as a consequence of our ability to take risks and make changes. And when you think about it, who's going to take risks and make changes unless a boss 
has appropriately created some of that safe space so people can bring their voices forward and can play full out and bring ideas with the consequence of maybe making a mistake and failing occasionally, but knowing that that'll be okay because we'll translate that into a learning experience. That's a powerful dynamic that we look for our good leaders to create in the environment of work. Mm, that, that's a, a fabulous point. I, I recall one boss because he saw I was um, studying Spanish very um, uh, strongly for many years. And he said, from now on, I want you to work only with our Spanish clients. And I want you to you know, speak to them in Spanish, help them out. And at first I was like, no, 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 no. My Spanish is akin to street Spanish or something. There's no way I can talk business on the phone to my Spanish-speaking countries and such and, and clients. And what I really appreciated is that he allowed me to see that I could grow further in this area by pushing myself beyond my comfort zone. And I think that's what you're talking about when you say a good leader not only creates a safe space, but allows you to push past your comfort zone a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, pushing past your comfort zone and, you know, the idea of whether it's spoken or not spoken and often good bosses sometimes don't speak it, but it would be great if they spoke it. You know, when we really believe in people passionately and our goal as a leader is to develop the capabilities and the confidence and capacity of our leaders, you know, we tend to hold this bigger space for them to grow into than even they see as possible right now. And, you know, in doing that, we create a sense of additional confidence in our people. So they'll play full out. What that boss did for you in really pushing you out of your comfort zone was they were so confident in your ability and they were holding a bigger space for you. And what you ended up doing was trusting their instinct and trusting your instinct and actually expanding into it successfully. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And where does, um, as you're growing as a person, as, as your own leader of maybe a department or business, and then also your team, how do you put forth responsibility? Because that is a part of growth and leadership. How does that impact? So, you know, it's interesting because in leadership rigor, it's written in three parts and there's a whole part dedicated to really leading yourself and understanding at a fundamental level, you know, how do you get yourself to be um, skilled and productive, whether it's in time management and communication, and then you evolve into a new set of skills and a higher level set of skills as it relates to leading your team and leading others. And, you know, there's a lot of consciousness and and dynamics that you have to be mindful of as you start to evolve into leading your team. You know, as you move into getting work done through others, there are some fundamental skills and tools that leaders need to be aware of. So, you know, one of them is how do they appropriately coach and evolve the talent of their team? You know, when someone is new on the team, you direct them. When someone has a little more experience, you ask questions and you coach them, mm-hmm. you ultimately evolve into empowering or delegating. But this transfer of confidence and skills in the best team leaders today has conscious discipline associated with it. And they have an understanding of a leadership style or a leadership approach that is very situationally appropriate and specific to the challenge and the individual at that time. And if you do that well, you're really able to grow and develop your team. If you don't do that well, you may end up delaying the growth or forcing yourself or the other person into either micromanagement Mm. or a slower growth path. Wow. I I love that you mentioned this. My very first time in management, I uh, was given a crew of eight. And I thought being just coming in with a title that people would just 
follow orders. And it wasn't quite that easy. For one, I was coming from a space where the person who had managed before me was very abusive to the staff. So now I had to come in after them and they, they weren't quite sure what they were going to get. Are they going to get someone like they had before, kind of abusive, not listening to them, not giving them that safe space? Or are they going to listen to them, allow them to grow, hear them out? And uh, I remember my first day in there, they asked me to do a big project and I had to give it to my team. And I kind of just you think you could do this guys and of course they didn't come to the table they didn't do a good job and I suffered the consequences but it was a good reflection to okay what do I need to do next time what didn't work here why didn't it work and what can I do to get the team to trust me and it took time to build that trust talk a little bit about the trust factor in leadership uh, the trust factor is probably the most important thing for leaders to develop and learn. And what's interesting about trust is it takes a long time to really develop trust, but it takes two seconds to lose it. Um, in, right? In the leadership world, you know, I like to ask leaders, I'll say, you know, what are you? Are you a giver of trust or are you an earner of trust? You know, the best leaders today are givers of trust. They will set expectations. You know, they will let people know that they're there to help, to come to me, you know, but I believe in you and I trust you and I'll give you some space to, to try to, you know, uh, lean in and grow and, and stretch and, you know, use me here and let's make some, you know, uh, kind of connections on how we'll manage this together, but I trust you. Others that may be more difficult to establish trust with really want to have you earn it. You know, they want it to be seen over time. You know, they're a little bit more reserved and judgmental about it. Um, a little bit more concerned about how maybe their team or their direct reports are an absolute reflection on them as opposed to, you know, really seeing their direct reports as independent talents that are, that are growing in and of themselves. So, you know, when, when you're faced with someone who gives trust, it's really a great opportunity to, um, you know, trust yourself and try to fulfill the goals and objectives that they're putting out there. When someone's asking you to earn trust, the question I always ask is, how do I know when I earn it? And if I make a mistake, do I lose it and have to earn it all over again? Mm. So having conversations around trust and literally using the word trust so people understand, you know, what we're talking about, I think is really important as you build these healthy relationships in the workplace. Wow. And I've seen both happen. I mean, I've had uh, leaders in the past who micromanage and I saw later on reflecting on the situation that was more about their insecurity with the position than more about me or any of the other coworkers. And I, I get what you're saying. I, I'm guessing if anyone's out there and they are dealing with the team and they're having a bit of problems, maybe to start using what you're saying, bring the team together and, and talk openly and honestly about how do we build trust among ourselves and create that space where we can all grow together. You know, what I think is a great idea. That's a great suggestion. I also want to link um, to what you said just a minute ago when you were talking about your own experience and like, hey, guys, can you help me with this? You know, one of the most powerful ways to build um, trust and trust has a language, right? You know, there's a really specific language around trust. One of the best ways a leader can build trust is to be vulnerable and to be real. You know, another word that we were using before when you were talking about um, your colleague who wrote the book, Living, Living Your Truth, mm -hmm. um, being vulnerable really has, and, and building trust has language and four phrases that I like to share with people that um, will allow you to accelerate your ability to build trust. The first phrase is, I was wrong, mm. right? Because by admitting that we're wrong, we allow other people to be wrong. I need help. 
Mm-hmm. Um, being really clear about, you know, there's expertise that you may have that I don't have. And, you know, whether you work for me or I work for you, being able to say I need help is a real sign of trying to build trust and, and you know, show your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I apologize. You know, mm-hmm. I was wrong. I may have given you too much or I didn't give you enough space. But whatever I did, um, being vulnerable enough to be real about it and hopefully build our relationship in uh, in a more trustful way moving forward. And um, the fourth one would be, I was wrong. I need help. I apologize. Um, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, you know, many leaders often fail to do is to truthfully acknowledge when they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And when we make a mistake and we admit that, you know, people feel like they can trust us more. And therefore, that whole trust building relationship just builds on itself. Mm. I, I like that you really went there. That was so, so important because one of the things that built that team up and I into a good bond and team together was that early on when I uh, made the mistake of not really owning up to, I'm going to trust you guys and we're going to go forward and make this project happen. Um, I asked for their help, but I didn't really believe they'd help me. And then when it failed, I took responsibility and said, I'm the leader. This didn't work because something I need to change about how I did this. I think that's part of the reason why we were able to come together quicker probably than the last people that worked there is because we were able to, uh, they were able to see me as a person who was willing to admit when I made a mistake and do something to fix it. Um, so I, I love that you mentioned that, that it's so important to be willing to be vulnerable and vulnerable does not equal weakness. That's two separate things. No, vulnerability in leadership is actually a real strength and many people struggle with this. In fact, you know, much of the time in my leadership practice, I'll ask people up front, you know, what do they think of the word vulnerability and, you know, eight and a half or nine out of 10 times, it's something negative. Whereas those who are more enlightened and, you know, more further along in their leadership practice and their leadership journey, really recognize that vulnerability is a strength. And, you know, the way you you showed your vulnerability there, just in the way you expressed it, mm-hmm. you know, let's bring it back to different different language. You told the truth about mm-hmm. yourself and you were transparent, yeah. right? Very, very strong leadership skills. And we call that vulnerability in the moment, but it was really you being truthful and transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such, I mean, we could talk for hours about this area. This is so fascinating, but I don't want us to leave without letting the audience know how they can find out more about you, work with you, get your awesome book. Let them know that. Sure. So um, Leadership Rigor is on Amazon.com if you're interested in checking that out. My website is Erica, E-R-I-C-A, Peetler, P-E-I-T-L-E-R.com. I'm on Twitter at, at, at Erica Peetler and, you know, happy to, uh, to talk to anyone who wants to learn more about leadership or leadership rigor. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you again. This has been such a wonderful talk um, for coming to Savvy Business Radio and sharing your gifts of wisdom today. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Christine. It was great to be here. Our second guest is Kevin W. Reese. Kevin has guided and inspired thousands of people to take control of their lives and their health. Hi, Kevin. Welcome back to Savvy Business Radio. How are you today? I am great. Thanks for having me. Uh, you betcha. I'm so psyched to have you. We, you were on my show last year, I believe, and you helped no, me. No, I'd was it last year? I'd, no. Almost three years ago. No. Wow. The, your first book, Diet, De-Stress, Detox, The Formula for Reclaiming Your Health and Vitality, that was three years ago? 2014. 
Wow, boy, time goes fast. <laughs> Man, time goes fast. Well, that was a phenomenal book. I, I had read it from cover to cover. I uh, did a six-week challenge for myself to detox, de-stress, and detox. And I lost 10 pounds, got a load of energy. And sadly to say, I've gotten back off the wagon, mostly with stress being a major contingent. So I know you're going to help everyone out there because it's January. People start talking about all of these things to get healthy again and, and get these resolutions as they call them. And then they get back off the wagon in February or March or whatever, but we want to keep them healthy and happy going forward. And you're going to do that. So before we get started with all of that and your new program and tease, share a little bit about your background for, with our audience. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know me, I, uh, I used to be a radio personality. I was on a professional on air for uh, 12 years. And, you know, kind of lived that high, that high, fast life, if you will. And uh, I was eating a lot of, a lot of bad foods, been a food addict all my life. And uh, one day, you know, my body really started breaking down. I was having some, I had a heart attack scare, which, um, wow. you know, I ended up on heart monitors. It turned out, it turned out to be a massive panic attack. Hmm. Uh, but of course, when it's happening, you know, <laughs> you, you think it's over, you know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, so I went through a lot and I went back and forth to the doctor a lot and I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and even more importantly, I became sick of the doctors not having any answers mm. and usually don't when it comes to chronic things. Now, maybe they do a short, sharp, intense things, you know, on the acute side, but for chronic things, they, you know, the only answer was pills and I just wasn't down with it. So I took matters into my own hands and, and walked that path and figured it all out on the natural side and then became passionate, went to school for it and, and quit radio and just became a health practitioner. And I'm, 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 I'm uh, five years deep now. So it's been a awesome journey helping people with programs and, and teas and books and doing public speaking all over. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really cool transition. Wow. It's so interesting, uh, Kevin, because I had started my business basically because I was like you. I was totally stressed out and unhealthy. I, I, I'd actually gained more weight now since I left corporate, but th besides the weight, what happened is stress had just overcome my life. And I ended up in the hospital one day at four in the morning because of heart pain, uh, chest pain. And it turned out not to be a heart attack like you. And it wasn't actually um, a panic attack either, but it was a wake up call to yeah. say that what you're doing, how you're living your life is not working for the long haul. Uh, do you want to live your full out glorious life to the fullest, or do you want to end up in the grave early? And I decided, no, I, I got to make some changes. And for me, that was figuring out what, what I want to do with the rest of my life and what would bring me pleasure and how could I serve the world in a bigger way. And that's what you did by really taking what's changed your life, health and healthcare, and bringing it to people to make their lives better so that there's an alternative way besides taking medication. Now, how was the transition for you? When you left, did you immediately start helping people or how long was it before you gotten yourself healthy that you said, hey, I could do this for others? Oh, right away. Uh, really? I, I was... I was taking clients while I was still on the radio mm, mm. And, and, um, and so it just, it, they overlapped each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I quit radio, which was, um, November, 2012, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I already had a few clients and, uh, we just went from there. And what were you, while you were getting healthy, was there a moment where you said, Oh, this is where I belong. How did that work out that you knew that this is my next step? 
You know, I, I also, mm-hmm. I also saw the wave of where the internet was going. Mm-hmm. So uh, I knew that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. So it was kind of a two headed beast. It was, I want to be an entrepreneur digitally mm-hmm. and I'm really passionate about natural health. And I just, two and two equals four. And I just, I just put it together and ran with it. Oh, fabulous. And I want to ask you, because I've fallen off the wagon and I told you before the interview, and I know a lot of folks start with this idea of a diet. And really what this is all about, what you help people do is not a diet, but a lifestyle change to really overhaul their whole life for the long haul so they could live their greatest life. But why is it so often that folks begin to work to get healthy, but don't stay on track? Why is that? Food addiction is the biggest thing. And, you know, it's something I'm very passionate about. It's something that I've struggled with my whole life since I can remember, you know, as an adolescent, you know, uh, 12 years old and up, let's just say. And uh, it's real. Mm. And, you know, it's something I'm going to be doing a lot of work on a few years down the line. Like that's going to be my my niche, if you will, my mission. I think food addiction needs to be addressed. I think that we are psychologically addicted to the foods that stimulate us, such as cheese, uh, such as soda, such as candy, cookies, cake, even potatoes. And and we get into this zone where we want to eat, not only when we're sad, but when we're celebrating as well. Oh, yeah. I know that was a big thing for me. Like, if I ever accomplished something... Mm. I always went and got a pizza or I went and got some burritos or whatever. And, you know, it becomes like this thing where you, uh, you know, you're feeding the beast inside of you. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, food addiction is the big thing. And then, <laughs> then not only are you dealing with a food addiction, but now you're dealing with social traditions on top of that. So, um, you know, you, you're trying to eat healthy and then all of a sudden the holidays come and <laughs> you're hit with all this, all these cookies and, and, and stuffing and whatever else in front of you. And then, and then you got Valentine's day, which is about chocolate. And then you, you know, you got Halloween, which is about candy and you, you got all the Monday labor days that we have off in America that are all barbecues. And it's like, mm-hmm. you have all these social traditions, even as even going to school in middle school, high school, whatever, like they feed us crap and, and it's social traditions that, feed the food addiction. Wow. And I remember reading that in your first book and and being like kind of opening my eyes to it because I hadn't realized how much of our culture, American culture is kind of revolves around the celebration around food. You get together with friends and even on a Friday night, what do you do? Which is kind of really unhealthy. And I did it for years, but you go drinking, uh, drink binges, you go to the bar and you have a good time, all these cocktails and and you don't think anything of it in your twenties, just throw them back and then eat a whole bunch of fried food along top of it. Um, and so now you mentioned psychological reasons that we become addicted. Is there also a physiological um, addiction going on at the same time? Yeah, because because these foods, they stimulate our adrenal glands, which are mm-hmm. the, the glands above the kidneys, and they're like the batteries of our Ooh. body. Uh-huh. And uh, they stimulate. For example, if you eat meat, mm-hmm. like steak or chicken or whatever, Okay, that the flesh of that meat has adrenaline in it because the animal was scared when it was being murdered. Mm-hmm. So that adrenaline stimulates your adrenal glands, and we don't even realize it. 
So that's just an example of why people want to keep eating meat, keep eating meat, keep eating meat. They don't realize their adrenal glands are being stimulated every time. Um, so it's kind of like an energy drink right an energy drink doesn't really give you energy it stimulates your adrenal gland <laughs> you want real energy eat five oranges wow and that's interesting you mentioned that many many years ago i read this fascinating book by a woman who works with um cattle uh farmers and such to find a way that they could kill the cattle in a way or slaughter them in a way that was humane at the same time where they wouldn't be scared to death while they're being led to slaughter. Because generally in the old, old, old days, they would just kind of, by one, they would just kill each of them and they would see their partner being killed. And of course the cows are freaking out going, oh my gosh, what happened to Sally over there? Right, right. <laughs> but she presented a way that they could be slaughtered in a humane way where it would be quick and the other cattle would not be aware of what was happening to their partners. And I thought, wow, and that way the meat would not be full of the steroids and such. I thought that was interesting. Do you kind of advocate not eating flesh at all then, uh, or just maybe eating uh, flesh that's maybe free range? Well, you know, I think it's a personal decision. I, I personally am an ethical vegan, which means it's not about health. It's about the animal. Mm. So I try not to wear leather. I try not to, you know, none of that. Uh, that's me. Do I promote it heavy? No, I don't. Um, because I'm in the reclaim your health business. I'm not in the vegan business. I'm in the reclaim your health business. My work is to take someone who does not feel good, has a chronic illness, or just feels like they're going down the wrong path. And my job is to turn that around so that they can reclaim their health. Does that mean that they can't ever eat meat again? Not necessarily, but you know, Certainly on the health side, I advocate if you are, if you're dead set on eating meat, it should only be twice a week. I mean, it can't be twice a day. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just simple chemistry. You're going to, you know, you're going to damage your body over time. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't promote veganism uh-huh. to the power, but yeah. I try to lead by example. So, you know, if you're ever at a picnic with me or you're ever at a party with me, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to see me doing A, B, and C and be like, why is he doing A, B, and C? And the answer is going to be because I'm an ethical vegan. Wow. Th- that's interesting di- differentiation you make because uh, I hadn't thought about the fact that maybe we meet too much in our culture. Is that, is that the case? Cause you said eating meat twice a week max, you would say, do we kind of eat meat too much at this point? Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and dairy as well. And dairy health wise is even worse than meat. So I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we're eating it way too much. And we also have to understand that the meat and dairy industries are businesses, we think of them as industries and not corporations, but they are. Mm -hmm. And back in the 90s, Oprah Winfrey, on her show, she, she, (laughs) she did a show on mad cow disease back when it was just breaking through the mainstream and she said she'll never eat another burger and the meat industry took her to court. Mm. So that just shows you that, uh, you know, they are a business and Mm. you know, it's, it's, it's obvious and they donate to our political Mm. leaders. Our political system is financed a lot by the meat and the dairy industry, as well as the other, you know, the candy and the Coke and all that. But you know, they're, these food corporations are running our country, right? Wow. And the pharmaceutical companies who want us to get dreadfully ill from the bad foods we eat so that we could go use their services as well. Yeah. 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 It, it's like the, the food corporations are the offense. 
mm-hmm. and the pharmaceutical industry is the defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like wow. this, this football team, this evil football team. Well, I'll tell you something, Kevin, that I was blessed with through going through your first program there, um, that six weeks of eating only vegetables and fruit, mostly fruit, um, yeah. I had a lot of energy and I did, I missed the meat. Like, I won't tell you. It, it was unbelievable. I dreamed about meat. More, and it was funny because I thought it was going to be bread and carbs, like, you know, potatoes and potato chips and stuff like that. It was not. It was meat. I dreamed of meat and chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) But it it was interesting. I had a load of energy. And by the end of the six weeks, I wasn't craving chocolate anymore. And I didn't know why. And my friend said, what are you having in your salad? And I said, I'm having broccoli. And she's like, that's it. Uh, Because broccoli was a big component of every salad I had. And she said, that's what you are getting. That's the magnesium that you were getting from the chocolate. You're getting in the broccoli. And now your body's telling you, we're good. We don't need any chocolate. Yeah, it comes back down to those adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you took away your stimulant. Mm -hmm. And you started putting uh, some simple carbon in your body, fruits and vegetables. And you you were getting energy without stimulating your adrenal glands. But... Because your adrenal glands were not being stimulated, it sent it sent signals to your brain to think about the meat and the chocolate. Ah, oh, wow! That that's something I didn't think about, Kevin. Wow. Well, eat the sunlight is your entire um, company here, but you're starting something really cool to help folks in 2017. Reclaim your health, 120 day challenge yeah. in your new Eat the Sunlight. Uh, to explain that challenge for everyone. Yeah, the Reclaim Your Health 120 Challenge, it's a guided transitional program, and it jumpstarts uh, a person's healing journey. And we give them, I have new medicinal herbal tea, and they get four months worth of that. They get uh, a coaching e-course that they can do, you know, week by week, and they get a specific plant-based diet. And the cool thing is that the diet escalates every month. So there's different levels. So, you know, you climb that mountain until you're at the one, day 120. And the whole purpose is to make people feel better on day 120 than they did on day one. And just to wrap all that up, we have a private Facebook group mm-hmm. where everyone congregates and we're starting a community. And, it, you, know, you know, one person might be on day 37 and one person might be on day one. But we're still all in the same boat and we're still helping each other. So I really think that this program is going to help a lot of people. And it's five years in the making based on all the experiences I've been through. So they get the tea, they get the education, and they get the meal plan slash recipes that come with the meal plan. So really cool, really cool program. Oh my gosh, it totally sounds really cool because I think one of the hardest parts and I found for all my friends I've talked to, even when I was doing the six week challenge, I went cold turkey. I got rid of everything overnight um, and just did it for six weeks and it was hard. And I think what's really awesome about your program is the leading it step by step, level by level. It doesn't seem quite as intense. It's kind of like walking to the gym and said, I'm going to go to the most advanced course, lift all the heaviest weights and and then of course hurt, injure yourself uh, in the process. But this way, doing a level by level, level you you, it kind of seeps into it comfortably and then by 120 you're like why would I go backwards this is um, a lifestyle change right and and, in the first month the first 30 days is all transitional Mm -hmm. so I take something out of their diet and add something into their diet so Mm -hmm. so then they're not going through these withdrawals as heavy and then by the time they get to their second month you know day 30 then we implement a meal plan with recipes and then the next 30, you know, day 60, it's, we go to another level and, uh, 
yeah, on day 121, they're going to be like, why do I want to go back? And hey, we have a, another program after that that people can take if they so want to, if they want to make this a lifestyle change. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to on day 121, they can just go, all right, well, I'm just going to have steak, potatoes and candy tonight because I'm done. Oh, wow. They can make that decision, but I just don't think that they will. I, I can't imagine after 120 days. I had heard, and I don't know how true it is, that it's about 30 days that it takes for a habit to set in. I don't believe that. Because I've tried a couple of things for 30 days, and I've gone back to doing things the old way. I think the 120 sounds about a good time frame for someone to really get into your system and create a new lifestyle change. Absolutely. And I'm really, you know, on the marketing standpoint, I don't mind talking about the business slash marketing stuff. (laughs) I'm one of the only health guys out there that will talk about it. And I'll tell you behind the scenes, when Mm -hmm. I was creating this thing, which took a long time, I got a big old whiteboard and there's been plenty of diagrams on that whiteboard figuring this out. And let me tell you, when the day that it hit me, 120 was a great day because I was like, oh my gosh, let's take Mm -hmm. 120 and let's make it part of the title. Mm -hmm pump this 120 thing so that it gets in people's head 120 120 120 120 it's four months four months doesn't sound as good as 120 uh so 120 days is four months and it's just it's not as intimidating as saying a year or a lifetime Mm -hmm. and it's also there's a there's a subliminal double meaning behind there christina Mm -hmm. because Bible, it says that we're supposed to live to 120 years old, but that's another topic for another day. (laughs) Yeah. And then the way most people are living, we barely get to 60 or 70. And that's with a lot of quality of life going down the drain. And and do we want to live the last 20 years of our life on this planet, going to the doctor every other day and money medication? I call it the Darth Vader syndrome, right? (laughs) Darth Vader was, you know, he was in a suit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was on an air machine, and he was he was almost all machine, and uh, and that's what a lot of Americans are going through. They're 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 alive because of the pills. They're alive because of the surgeries, the this, the that. And granted, sometimes it comes in handy, but when it comes to chronic illness, you know, we just don't need to suffer. We we can reverse it because it's just a cellular issue, and we just need to clean out and re- and regenerate those cells. Well, this couldn't have been better timing. I just had someone, a close friend, call me yesterday saying, I I feel horrible. I feel fatigued all time, all days. I don't know what to do. I went to a nutritionist, paid a good penny, and she said, I need to do fruit to detox for one whole week, and I don't think I can do it. And and then I was like, I think you need to do eat the sunlight challenge because (laughs) it's a much better way to do it than just saying go cold turkey, do, you know, only fruit, nothing else for one week when you've never done a fast ever. That's right. That's right. And we're, 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 you know, you know this from reading the book that, you know, I'm very pro fruit. And I do believe that we're frugivores like the apes and I, and fruit has I've seen I've seen it do amazing things to me to other people to clients to colleagues and uh, so it's a very big part of our program we stress a mono fruit meal every day at least every day which is a meal of fruit not just one apple you know so yeah and speak to also how you've seen fasting help because I've heard the the promotions of fasting why is fasting such a good thing I'm actually fasting right now. I'm on day uh, day five or day six rather. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I fast every year, 60 days at least. Uh, mm-hmm. I do with juice and tea. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing just water. But fasting, what it does is, uh, the best way that I describe it so that I don't get too scientific on people okay. is when you break your leg, they put you in a cast and they give you crutches. And the whole purpose is to stay off of your leg, right? So it can heal. Yes. So it's the same thing with fasting. When you fast, think of it like you're putting a cast on your internal organs and your colon. And you're saying, I'm just going to let it heal. Stay off of it. So in other words, you're not eating anything that you have to digest. Mm -hmm. So you're just eating, you're just consuming liquids. You're still getting your calories. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still consuming, you know, a thousand calories a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, through tea and juice, but I'm giving my colon a break. I'm giving my digestive system a break. I'm giving my pancreas. Okay, the pancreas is what puts out the enzymes to break down the food. My pancreas right now is like, oh, snap. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Like, for real. Like, thank you. I appreciate you right now. And uh, so, you know, my body is going to go into a resting uh, um, zone probably in another week. It takes about 10 days. Mm-hmm. Once you pass 10 days, your metabolism switches and mm-hmm. you know, your calorie intake goes from like a thousand to like 500. And I just need one, maybe two glasses of juice a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just living off water and my, in my medicinal teas and, and giving everything a break so that the cells can heal. Mm. And this is interesting, and I know this would come up. Uh, I've heard this uh, people ask these questions before that, well, I couldn't possibly do that and keep up my normal regime of going to the gym, perhaps going to work. I might faint or pass out. My body wouldn't be able to function with the actual food. That's not true, though, is it? No, it's not true. Uh, you do have to transition. So you don't want to go from burgers and fries to just juice. <laughs> you know, you're going to detox your brains out, maybe even end up in the hospital. Wow. Um, what I did to transition is I drank juice all day and then had a meal at six o'clock at night. So mm-hmm. I did that for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did that before I started all juice. So you, know, you have to transition into it. Um, but yeah, you don't actually, you get more energy because again, your digestive system is on vacation. So, you know, your body has more time mm-hmm. to, to, to give energy in other places. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing. And it's, it's ancient too. I mean, this goes long before, <laughs> this goes long before there was television, radio, computers, et cetera. I mean, this is very ancient and animals still do it. Mm, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, if a lion wasn't feeling good, it would just stop eating. Isn't that something? And, and we think we have to go out and get something to eat to help our body heal. And the body's like, no, 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 I'm working on healing your body. Don't give me anything else to work with here. Well, it, it's interesting because when, when we think about being sick and here in America, we've been conditioned to automatically think chicken soup. Oh, yeah, that's true. So isn't that interesting that soup is basically liquid? <sighs> You're right, with some chicken broth and yeah. bits of, yeah, yeah, interesting. Wow, it's yeah. And it's, I, I've been on fast, but my fast have never been more than 10 days. And I started out, I always transitioned with uh, fruits and vegetables, eating, you know, solid fruits and vegetables for a week yeah. before I even think to do that. I'm glad you mentioned that because some people are like, I could never do that. And if they do they do that, as you said, it could be very detrimental to your health if you're on a SAD, SAD diet, standard American diet, and then just switch right over to just eating 
fruit or, or water, your body's going to be like, whoa, 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 what did you just do to me here? <laughs> yeah, I'm very big in the transitioning, and uh, that's something I've, I've had a part of all my programs over the last five years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of health practitioners out there that do not transition people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, just, I just think that that's the wrong way to go. Yeah, yeah, and that that's what makes them quit after a day or two because they feel so faint and they feel horrible, and, and rightly so because their body is going through a major detox, and they really need that kind of help, which you're going to be able to give them. Now, explain for me, because part of your program is adding your medicinal teeth. Why are their teeth so helpful for also helping the body get back into shape and, and full health? Sure, well, herbs are our original medicine long before there was big pharma, there was herbs and, you know, not only for us, but the animals, you know, uh, apes use herbs to help rid themselves of parasites. Um, Certain animals in the wild use plantain herb when they get bit by a poisonous snake to neutralize the poison. I mean, this is just what's been around for forever. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to bring that back in the form of tea because I think everyone understands a beverage. Um, so if I can just get people to drink the tea two or three times a day, plus pair it with the right diet, magic is going to happen in their body. So that's what, that's where the 120 program came from is that idea of drink the tea, eat a certain way, you're good. Mm-hmm. But how do you get people to do that? You gotta, you gotta create a structured program, but the medicinal tea I have, there's 12 different kinds, mm-hmm. you know, everything from kidneys to joints to fungus to sinus to helping people sleep um so there's many different blends Mm -hmm. and i had a professional herbalist make the blends so everything is organic and 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 put together very nicely and and uh it's 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 just a really cool product that's helping a lot of people Mm -hmm. and uh So when you get the 120 program, you get four months worth of uh, my daily cleanser tea, which supports the lymphatic system, which is how we clean our waste. And it supports the liver and it supports the kidneys so that you're basically cleansing uh, cellular waste. So a lot of people think it's a laxative, but it's not. It's Mm -hmm. just cellular waste, which is going to come out through your urine. Ooh, wow, that's great. Right now, I'm actually on a green drink uh, that's full of vitamins and stuff that was also mixed by a herbalist. It's fabulous stuff. And it's not bad tasting. How, what's the response you've received from the people who have tried the teas? Oh, great. And a, a lot of people who, when they think of tea, they think of sugar. Put sugar yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. Well, no. One of the biggest responses that I've gotten is, wow, I don't even put sugar in it. And uh, that's because the herbalist, what she does is she adds uh, – peppermint or spearmint to almost all of them so they all pretty much all have a nice minty taste Ooh, nice and i also like i've added like straight up cinnamon which gives it a kind of sweet flavor yeah yes. very nice yeah mm-hmm. this has been awesome well i've i've really really enjoyed our conversation i'm really hoping people get out there get healthy today because yes. we want 2017 to be the best year for everyone tell them or share with them where they can find out more about your challenge and sign up today Yes, go to eatthesunlight.com, eatthesunlight.com, and uh, there'll be a page where you can look through the medicinal teas, and there's also a page for programs and books, and that's where you'll find the 120 Challenge as well as my book. And everything that you need is on eatthesunlight.com. So, And, of course, follow me on social media. My Facebook page is really my hub. We just hit 60,000 followers. So, you know, facebook.com slash Kevin W. Reese official. 
Ooh, awesome. And mind you guys, uh, not only Diet De-Stress Detox is a wonderful book, you also have a um, audio root cause, which talks about the root causes of illnesses and protein kills. Very important. We were talking a little bit about protein earlier in the conversation with meat. So uh, there's a number of great resources out there along with your wonderful new program. So everyone, please go to eatthesunlight.com today. And I want to thank you again, Kevin, for coming to Savvy Business Radio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Racing to Success Minute with Nadine Lajoie. Is independence a good thing for men and for women? I think independent woman is a good thing because we all know that most of the family, a lot of decisions are taken by women and more and more into the businesses too. And that is a good asset for a man who can really appreciate and use that asset to his benefit. So the independent woman can bring you a lot more freedom, a lot more passion, and also the intuition to be able to take better decisions. So appreciate an independent woman, not too much, but just enough. That is Nadine at NadineRacing.com. After five years of creating exciting business content with amazing businesses from around the world, Savvy is now creating a new video series entitled Heartbeat of the World. This series will feature experts from around the globe. We will highlight and discuss some of the greatest challenges facing the U.S. and the world. Co-create with us and find out more at bit.ly slash SavvyPatron. Here's your interview next week on Wealth Building with Tax Attorney Rich Gaines. Yeah, I, I love this conversation. And, and it's so true. We were talking before the interview that people's mindsets, especially the average Joe who might go to work every day, because you see an av- uh, a paycheck come in, whether it's 50000 or 100000 a year, you never really put it together to realize that a million dollars comes about in not too long of a time if you add up you know that that salary over a couple of years time um i told you that i served on a case many years ago where this guy sued the contracting company he worked for for five million dollars because he fell and broke his back and at first i was sitting there in the in the in the trial thinking that's nuts but then when the attorneys broke it down and said well really this is what he'd make over his lifetime and, and then i was like wow so a million dollars isn't that much money but i think we forget that because we hear like million dollar lottos or whatever and we think oh that would just fix our lives and everything would be perfect but when you break it down for them and you realize a million dollars isn't a lot and you don't want to take a third of that and give that to your 25 year old who's probably going to go to every bar in the universe and just you know it's going to be bye-bye in no time. Um, you want to find a way to really use it to grow. And you mentioned something also very important, Rich, is really um, paying yourself first. But, and that doesn't just mean the vacations, but that also means how you know, to invest for yourself, to invest in your future. It's important to take care of yourself first. Yes, that's absolutely true. I think that's one of the um, highest principles in wealth building is, is to make sure that you're putting that money aside and and I've had people that they do that and, you know, just over a course of time, and it's not even a lot of money. I mean, one guy's $100 a month, mm-hmm. but over the course of a couple of years, all of a sudden he's got three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 sitting in his investment account. And that investment account can, can you know, be invested in, in proper mutual funds or diverse, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into all the money management yeah. stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to invest it correctly. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how it grows. And, and so that's really, really important to be able to uh, to accomplish that. And 
you know, and to grow that money. And it's, and it's also a positive reinforcement because when you see that money grow, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you realize that it's possible. It's possible to have a different mindset. You know, it's possible not to think of yourself as, and I use this word very specifically, as broke, because broke is temporary. Poor is, poor is a state of mind. Broke is a temporary situation. Mm. And, and so if we get out of that state of mind of being poor, that we all have wealth, we all have something inside of us that's really incredible. You know, we all were born with, on this planet. We're all unique. We all have, a, you know, a purpose. And it's finding that purpose. It's finding that, uh, that special thing that, that we're really good at. And when that happens, you know, our abilities and our opportunities to trust that we're here for a reason and that um, allow that, uh, that purpose to unfold, it's really incredible what can, what can happen for people. And it happens massively quickly. Uh, when, when people are, are in their, their environment that they should be in, that they should mm-hmm. be doing, it's incredible how fast that happens. And some people, you know, when they're employed, they get, their employer has the 401k, yeah. uh, which, you know, to put money aside for them. I mean, that's like...